Three avid golfers were uh, out golfing one day and it shouldn't have been. It was stormy and they got struck by lightning. All of them died. So they appeared before St. Peter at the pearly gates. They asked St. Peter if there was golf in heaven. I've wondered the same question. He said, there's incredible golf in heaven. There's just one rule. Don't hit a duck, whatever you do. And so they started playing, and uh, one of the guys hit a duck. St. Peter came to the man. He had this woman with him who was not so attractive, and he handcuffed her to this guy for eternity, and they went off. The other two guys kept playing. Unfortunately, one of the guys hit a duck. St. Peter again came with this kind of homely woman and handcuffed him to the man, and off they went for eternity. Last guy playing was kind of nervous. He hit a few balls timidly. St. Peter approached him, and on his arm was this beautiful top-line model. And he said to St. Peter, what in the world have I done to deserve this? And she said, I hit a duck. It's a funny story with a sad truth. Our world judges on externals. But the good news I have for you today, or maybe it's not so good news, depending on where you are in your walk, in your lifestyle, is that God looks inside. God looks at the heart. God also wants us, his people, to resist judging others on externals. We come today to see the rise of a new king in the story. In week 11, we see uh, the outcome of what we talked about last week, that the people had to have a king. And so Saul was put forth as king, and, and though Saul appeared to be everything that Israel ever wanted, they soon found that Saul was not all that. And because of that, uh, God ultimately says to Samuel, uh, Saul will no longer be the king of Israel. Samuel, we need to find a new king, is what he says to him. And and so in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 6, 16 rather, we see the new king chosen. David is chosen as king. Now, that is unexpected. David is just a teenager at the time. David is, for many of the folks, no one's idea of a king. We read about 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 through 13. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Samuel is told to go to the house of Jesse, of Bethlehem, an Ephrathite. He's told to go to Jesse, and he said at Jesse's house, he has many sons. One of them will be anointed as king. Eliab's the oldest. Eliab has already carved out a great reputation for his military skill, for his appearance. And as Samuel looks, he thinks, surely this is the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. That is so much like our world. You know, statistical studies actually have been made that say that Uh, in the CEO offices across the corporations of this land, in political races, oftentimes the winner will be the taller of the two that are running. The CEOs will be taller than the average man or woman. 
so much like us. But here he says, Samuel, no, this is not the one. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him, this is second son, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said that the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. <laughs> so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. He's an afterthought. Jesse doesn't even think about him possibly being the one. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. A great lesson there. Many do not see one's true potential. Many did not see David's true potential. Did you notice Jesse, David's father, didn't even think about or summon David when the word came that Samuel was coming to anoint a new king. Later on, we read that Eliab and his brothers are fighting with the Israelite army against their mortal enemy, the Philistines. And out in the, the land of the Valley of Elah where they're battling the Philistines, uh, all the men are gathered around, and every day one giant Philistine comes out, his name Goliath, and challenges the Israelites. He makes fun of them. He goads them. He challenges any one of them to face him one-on-one -on -one in battle. And every day he comes out and no one responds. But David is sent to take food to his brothers one day, and and he goes, and, and David's older brother, he scolds him. Eliab scolds David for leaving the sheep to come and just watch the battle with the Philistines. He, he, he has no idea, does Eliab, that David could potentially be a part of the army against. He has underestimated him. King Saul, he sees David as a mere boy, not king material. He sees him as an entertainer, for he's heard of his skill with a lyre, which is a harp. But King Saul underestimates David. Goliath, when David comes out to challenge him, he says, you send this little shrimp, this little stick out against me? Uh, no, no way can he be the king. But God has Samuel anoint David as king. Is this a mistake? No, it's not a mistake. God and Jonathan's can see one's true potential. God and Jonathan's do. I tell you, that is one of the most dramatic stories in all of Scripture. Goliath, this huge man uh, with all the best armor, he's out in the valley, and, and it makes David mad to hear him insult the Israelites and the God that they serve. And so David actually goes out against him with only a slingshot and some stones. If you were here early in the service, you saw it dramatically depicted on the screen. It must have been some kind of scene. 
I'd love to see it in a movie with the computer graphic effects today. Uh, Goliath towering over David. And he comes out and, and basically says, you have no chance to David. And David says to him these immortal words. He says, I come in the service of the Lord. I come with God on my side. God will give me the victory. And sure enough, he starts twirling the sling and he releases the stone, hits Goliath right in the center of the forehead, and down he falls. God has seen David's true potential. I wonder today what potential is, is, is in this room. Perhaps potential that has been stamped down, potential that has been beaten down, potential that has been warped, potential that perhaps you've forgotten about. We are so prone to look into the mirror. We are so prone to look into the eyes and the judgments of others in our evaluation of ourselves that so oftentimes we get far off the mark. We underestimate ourselves as others underestimate us. David is seen by God for who he is on the inside. David is seen by God for the loyalty and the faithfulness of his heart, for the willingness to do whatever he needs to do for God. And because of that, God greatly rewards him. God greatly uses him. He becomes the king of a nation that becomes the envy of all the known world. But not only does God see David's true potential, so does Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan and David have a friendship that is the envy. It's a model for any friendship we would ever hope to have. I don't have time to talk about today all of the, the facets of their friendship. I encourage you to read in the story or read in 1 Samuel to read about these great friends. The, the simple verse I can share with you to show you, well, first let's look at Psalm uh, 70 to talk about God's seeing David's potential. He chose David, his servant, took him from the sheep pens. From tending his sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. And that's a psalm that predicts, it shows how God sees his potential, Psalm 78. And now we see, skip ahead to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 4, where it says this about Jonathan. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing. This is the prince's robe. This is the robe for the future king. He takes off this royal robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Because he sees his potential. Because Jonathan knows that it is in God's will for him not to succeed his father's king, but his good friend, his best friend David, to be that king he gives that royal robe a great and powerful symbol. I hope all of us have at least one friend like Jonathan, but maybe not. If we don't, I, I, my encouragement would not to be feeling sorry for yourself. It would be instead to determine to be a Jonathan to one or more. Instead of looking and belating the fact that you don't have a good friend, be 
a good friend. For there are many in this room that have lost sight of our potential, the potential that God sees in us. There are many in this room that could be empowered. There are many in this room that could be strengthened by the good friendship, the one who believed in us, a friend like Jonathan. And if we don't have that friend, my encouragement is to be that friend. And often so doing, acquire that friend. This is a great lesson for us today to think about Jonathan's encouragement, Jonathan's friendship, and for us to be that kind of friend to someone else. David is chosen as king. Then David is trained to be king, we see here. And not immediately does David assume the throne, although the people want him to be. They sing this song, Saul has slain thousands, but David has slain tens of thousands. And by doing that, Saul's humanity, his frailties are activated. Saul becomes very jealous of David, this one who the people see as their hero. And he starts to persecute, he starts to seek the death of David. He, in fact, puts David on the run. And for 14 years, David is out in the wilderness in different places. He even spends some time in the land of the Philistines, the mortal enemies of the people of Israel, in hiding. A couple of times to to show the growth of David's character, a couple of times uh, Saul even comes into a place where he's very vulnerable to David. David could kill him. His men, David's fighting men, want to kill him. But David says, no, that's not how God's people react. We don't kill our enemies, foreshadowing what the New Testament teaches. But instead, we let him go. And David's training, his integrity, his heart is grown through those years of testing, those years of trial. And this is a lesson for us as well. God sees the true nature of your heart. God sees your true potential, but he often doesn't elevate you to that position. He doesn't get you to that place without first having you grow through some testing and trial. Because that testing and trial, that produces, that hardship produces the growth that we need to live up to that task, to live up to that potential. That's exactly what happens here. And for those 14 years, though David perhaps doesn't know it, God is training him. God is growing him so he'll be ready to be this great king. If you read through the Psalms, many of which David wrote, you can often see this growth. Sometimes David thinks God has given up on him. Sometimes God, uh, David feels desolate. But in all of those lamentation psalms, he eventually comes to the place where he believes and he trusts in God. As David lived as a fugitive these 14 years, he only could depend on God for guidance and help. Friends, sometimes we need to hear that. It's only when our self-reliance, it's only when our look toward others for help, our look toward other sources for help, it's only when that is stripped away that then we can be all that God wants us to be. It's only when we see that we need to most and primarily depend on God for our guidance, for our vision of where and what we're supposed to do, that then God can use us to our fullest potential. 
That's his training. And finally, King David points to the eternal king. As this young man grows through these years of testing and training, as he assumes the kingship of Israel, God's holy nation, as he takes on this place, we see a foreshadowing in him. I just spoke to you about how he was uh, the, the, he had to have that total reliance on God for his power, for his strength, for his direction. But ultimately, I, I think King David is a type for us. He is a clear model of one who is to come. David was from Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah. So was Jesus Christ. David was anointed with oil. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. In fact, in 2 Samuel, we actually see a messianic promise, a prophecy. 2 Samuel verse 7, or excuse me, chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. This is God speaking to David through the words of the prophet. When your days are over and you will rest with your ancestors, that is when your life is done, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Now to this point, and you will see throughout, and here's a, point, here's a hint for you as you read in the Old Testament, oftentimes when prophecies are made, there is an immediate fulfillment of that prophecy, and then there's an eternal, there's a grander fulfillment of that prophecy. Here you can understand this prophecy to be about Solomon who was David's blood, who also was a great king. But I don't think it's only about that. There will be one, this one who is to come, your, your, your descendant, one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod welded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. It's talking about Jesus is to come. The only thing it might throw you there is it says that he, when he does wrong. Actually, what I think that means is that he would assume the punishment, the penalty for all who came after, who would do wrong, the Bible calls sin. And what was Jesus to undergo, this great king of Bethlehem, of the tribe of Judah, who was the anointed one, who was the Messiah? He undertook that punishment. He was placed upon a tree because he saw that if our sins could be forgiven, that our tremendous potential could be unlocked. Now listen, this is not some pie in the sky, believe in yourself talk that you often hear from our world's salesmen today. Because I believe if we understand the story of David, we see that it's not doing whatever we want to do that makes us be this great person. It's being stripped down 
to seeing first and most the face of God as he sees us. And then being that, not what the world says is success, not that what the world says is victory, but being exactly who God made us to be. So let me leave you with this. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? My suggestion is this, to not look in the mirror. Now, I'm not saying y'all are ugly. But what I am saying is we are so predisposed to do that. We are so predisposed before we go out to go look in the mirror and primp and, you know, uh, make up at least some of you women, maybe some of you guys. And, you know, and I think that is so trivial. Here's what I would suggest for you, a challenge I have for you. I want you to write on your mirror, the one you most use. I want you to write on that mirror, how does God see me? today. Far more important is the answer to that question than your reflection coming back at you. How does God see you today? I tell you, there is amazing potential in this room if you will submit your life to God, if you will see his purpose and his mission if you will be submitted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, if you will be committed to his mission, then God will do great things with your life. God has x-ray vision. He sees your heart. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He sees what you can be, and he doesn't fail his promises and his purpose. Fathers, we think about these things today. I believe it's just what many of us needed to hear. We've lost sight of who you made us to be. We've been beat down. We've been distracted. We've been discouraged. But just as you saw in a homely shepherd, yes, uh, attractive in appearance, but discounted and underestimated by everyone around him. Just as you saw in him the ability to be a king, a mighty warrior, so also you see in us the ability to serve, the ability to love, the ability to nurture, the ability to care, the ability to heal, the ability to encourage, the ability to share the gospel, the ability to make a difference. Let us not look at the mirror. Let us look in your face and see what you see. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.